Namo tasa bhagavato arato samma sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arato samma sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arato samma sambuddhasa I will awaken speedily for the sake of all sentient beings. For the sake of all wisdom, compassion, and non-clinging awareness. And may all beings and countries be free of weaponry and war, seeing it's absolutely unnecessary and very, very damaging. So this evening is uh, introduction. Uh, probably have two classes on this. Uh, tonight and then tomorrow, uh, no class at all. Practice, investigate, observe, investigate some more. Uh, with the mirror. Mirror, 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 mirror-like mind, mirrors, mirror-like qualities. And then um, Sunday morning, a class. And then uh, if you need interviews, you let me know, okay? It's, impor- it's important. If you feel you really need, uh, and I'd like to see people, to check in, it's really good because it can it can help a lot. It can, it can uh, straighten out doubts. It can save... Uh, days of misguided um, practice and uh, sometimes distress or even beautiful things happening and help them become even more uh, rich and abundant. So please, if you see, if you need to, it's good. Happy to see you. And so Sunday morning a class and then um, off until uh, Tuesday morning for the Wonkor, for the initiation of, uh, of uh, Hevadra. Okay. So you get more time to settle into uh, deeper meditation. If this was going on for another a week past, then um, I probably props wouldn't give a long core next week. I would probably give an entire four or five days of just straight continuous practice and see people at the end of that. Period. Just deepen it, deepen it, deepen it, deepen it, deepen it. Okay. Uh, I really enjoy your questions. Uh, are there any uh, questions that you would like that you think would be appropriate um, for everybody? before I open the, up the last chapter on uh, the mirror as illusory. Or illusory, mirror as an analogy for that which is not illusory. Yes? You said the other day, if I have it correctly, that before the cognition, say, of moving your hand, the organism has already put it in motion. That's what has been said. But that is that one's experience. So it's not scientific fact. Yes, but that doesn't mean it's true. What's the question? Well, in that um, in that direction, then, if you have a feeling, did that come from the organism? That's, that's, those are essential questions of insight, of apasana. Did the body sensation start first, then the mental uh, concept? Did the mental concept happen first, and then the body sensation? 
This, this you have to uh, see deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. When did it begin? And people, because of scientific research, saying, well, actually, it's happened at least a second earlier than you would know by conscious recognition. That doesn't mean that in meditation, you wouldn't be able to pick up the first bubblings of that way before even it comes out to conscious recognition. So it's up to you to refine the mindfulness so it gets into the millisecond, let's say 20 millisecond, 30 millisecond level of experience. Can that be done? Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Will you, do you need to know? This, now here's an important question. I keep raising this every few classes. Do you need to know what the organism is up to or do you need, is it more expedient, more quick method to purify the resultant actions so that you don't actually have to control what the organism does because what the organism is now doing is beautiful. Did you see? So one is a very Western approach. If I'm in control and I can outwit the, the nasty organism, then I won't have any problem. But imagine this from the uh, more perhaps Eastern or some other way of seeing, is I don't have to outwit anything at all. I just need to purify that which I'm doing, body, speech, and mind, and eventually the ground gets cleared so I can trust the organism. So if it's pre-thinking me, that's fine because that's me. I mean, it's, it's an illusory experience to have a self anyways, so why not allow it to be illusory, but communicating with the depth? This is really the communication with the depth. I give that as a possibility. But you can certainly shorten down and pick up messages. Some people, Somebody asked me about intuition the other day. You can certainly shorten down the duration and make better connections with what the organism is feeling, as you purify the organism, the channels get clear. All the meridians, the uh, 84,000 channels, or depending which tantra, 72,000 channels of, of, of uh, a breath uh, energy communication, as they get purified and get clear, then the messages coming from the depth are clear. And then you can trust them more and more. You see? The confusion is you don't know what to trust. And people trust things that are actually confused and tainted with emotional obscuration all the time. How do you, which one do you trust? Which feeling? Which sensation? Well, eventually they become very clear, so you go with it. Then you don't have to outsmart it and outthink. Is that right? Is it not right? No. It's right on. Feels good. Feels good to do that. Trust the feelings. But how do you trust the feelings when, so, you know, yesterday it didn't work? Today it did, and then the day before I put my foot in my mouth because I felt it was good, but it didn't work. And did you see? Nice big pizza belly. <laughs> Giant pizza belly. So you have to feel from your guts uh, the the, the um, navel chakra, navel center needs to be purified so that the feelings in the guts feel feel are like a good detector go yes 
yes. And you're not going yes, yes, yes. You just go, yep, do that. Yep, we'll do that. Do you want to have uh, pizza? Well, uh, let me see how I feel. And like five hours later, uh, should I have the... Uh, no. Boom. What do you want? That. What do you want to do? That. Or how about this? I'm not exactly sure at this point. Let me give it some time for it to arise. Instead of going, I'll think about it. Give it time to arise clearly. <clears throat> Lots of people react too quickly. They feel they have to make a decision right away. If you don't have to make a decision, I learned this in administration. I also learned it from Nam Rinpoche. If you don't need me to make a decision, why make a decision? Because you're cool? So people come to me and say, we need a decision on that. I say, how, how many days? Give me, I want to know exact time, like an important decision, maybe it's $100,000 or uh, $200,000 or important personnel decision. I'd say, well, you tell me when the decision has to be made by. Well, could you make it now? No, when does it have to be made by? Three days. Good, thank you. Three days. I forget about it completely. Somewhere in those three days, the message come, comes in clearly. What needs to be done? You just have to be there and listen to it. So why why does that be done now? Do you see? Your organism is so incredibly intelligent at depth. It knows bloody well what it should or shouldn't do. It knows exactly what it should do. So it's just a matter of getting out of the way and allowing it to speak. Some people hear voices. Some people don't hear voices. They have gut knowings. Other people just act. Okay. Right. So there's a question. So the Vipassana, really good, good mindfulness, should clear a lot of this, ultimately will clear all of this up, which is as the awareness grows, the channels clear you naturally sort out what is good and what... And this is the teaching of the Buddha, what is good and not what is not good. Now, when the Buddha was asked, what does it take to become enlightened? These are very important questions. When the Buddha was asked a number of times, how do you become enlightened? Now, I've repeated this, I think, a hundred times in my life of teaching, Dharma. Why? It's so important. When asked, how do you become enlightened? He said... How you become enlightened, number one, is Kalyanamitta, a, a suitable, noble friend. That is, uh, an accomplished uh, master or accomplished guide. That's number one. When he's asked what is enlightenment, his reply was straightforward. I know pleasure from displeasure. I know domanasa from somanasa. That's it. People say, oh, that's easy. Sure, everybody knows what is pleasurable and what's not pleasurable. How many people know what is pleasurable? Not very many. In other words, what is good for the organism and what leads to hell? What leads to confusion? That is a great accomplishment. Why? Because then, if it's all fully flowing that way, then everything in life is an accumulation for the good. And what's the good? Liberation. How do you know it? Because there's evidence. By the way, this is an evidence-based teaching. It's not about fantasy. So if the life is now accumulating 
goodness, and by way I mean goodness, means more and more power and more and more surety about liberation around it, the signs of, of clarity. What is it? Freedom from greed, hatred, delusion, pride, and jealousy. Correct? That's it. That's the measure of enlightenment, by the way, technically. Does it make sense? Then if that's what's happening, you have sorted out that which is good, for the good, wholesome, and that which is unwholesome. And it's a natural process of awareness that sorts it out. As that happens, you get more energy, more patience, more clarity, more vividness. Uh, the things that you need to accomplish come your way. Why? Because your mind is seeing it. Your mind is seeing opportunities. Power. Punya. Punya kama. Power. And other people get to get right. Uh, get to. Uh, get to participate in the in the richness and rewards of that power. Do you see? Straightforward, isn't it? So in that sense, the purifying the ground of the habit patterns, bit by bit by bit through awareness, by good practices, by tantric methods of changing the maps, and all kinds of things, means that you start to accumulate merit. And as you accumulate merit, your mind is focused on the questions of liberation, you accumulate wisdom. Those are called the two baskets or the two collections in Tantra. You need to accumulate merit, power, strength, and then you can accumulate wisdom, stacks of wisdom, moments of wisdom. So that really, in many ways, is the, is the point. But to do that, you need good mindfulness, and you have to just you have to go deeper and deeper and go. Does the form shape the mind? Does the mind shape the form? And a lot of insight meditation is about intention, clarifying intention. Why the walking meditation? It's fantastic for clarifying the intent mind, and it builds strength for the sitting and standing meditation. Walk this kind of walk microscopic walking meditation is amazing. Not always, not for all beings at all times. But it brings forth a whole bunch of things. One of them is intention. How did the foot get lifted? It's called puppet. In the in the old meditation text, it's called the simile of the puppet. The puppet master. Did the arm just reach out and pick up the cup? Does it does an arm does an arm reach out? and pick up a cup and drink from it. What's the puppet master? Or is it just an arm? Right, the arm did it. You know how people do that? You know the ones that trip over something and they go, they look back and they go, you stone, you bad stone, you tripped me up. It's a complete misunderstanding of how, how life works. So whether the... Uh, action of body, speech, and mind is already a second before it comes to conscious recognition. The question is, can you close the gap? And number two, can you reshape it? So the intention comes out by shaping the way karma works. Can you reshape it so that the the organism is providing beautiful activity? It could be that you cannot be in the present, but you can certainly purify the experience of the present. We'll leave that to you as a mystery. Any others? Yes, sir. 
making a decision, knowing that there are concepts that are uh, hindering one's thoughts. Too bad. Make it. But making the decision, trusting that it is ultimately for the best. It's not always for the best. It's okay, just make it. Now, some of you need to just make decisions and learn to live with the consequences. Okay, there's another day. <laughs> and it's full of hindrances, that's okay. Just make it. Just, okay, done. But learn. You see, a being that makes decisions but doesn't learn from the experience is in trouble. The being that makes decisions all day, and some of them aren't good decisions, but actually learns and goes, why did that not work well? How did I get my foot in my mouth once again? And you look at it, you consider it, that's learning. There's no problem. Like a good employee, you know, you want employees to learn, right? A, a really good employee learns quickly. It learns. Yeah, sorry, you made a mistake. They go, okay, I learned from it. That's wonderful. So if you're not perfect, Anne, that's okay. Uh, so the art is basically to be able to make decisions and not be paralyzed. For a lot of beings, they're deeply paralyzed. They're fearful of making decisions. Not even because they make bad decisions, but because psychologically any decision is a frightening experience. Like someone going out the front door of their house. Like someone taking a car ride, someone going in an airplane. For a lot of people, decision making is very, very difficult. Worried about the consequences. And yet they make very good decisions. So just to say, go make decisions, for some beings, is, there's no way. That's another matter of, of um, psychological support. It's a map that needs to be changed. It doesn't always change overnight. I sometimes say to people, if you want to really learn how to make decisions, it would be wonderful to become the CEO of a Ford Motor Company or, or General Motors right away, just like that, transport you right in and make decisions all day long. Because unless you make about a half, unless you make 30, 40, 50 million dollar decisions wrong you know, in, a, in a row, they're not gonna fire you. You have to get to the billion dollar level where they fire you, where the board just takes you out and says that. And they give you a wonderful package to get rid of you. So you're fine, just need to work for one year. I mean, the lifetime of a CEO now is what? I think it's down to three years, you could five years. Now it's down to about three years, maybe one year. Um, but if you want to make decisions and learn to make decisions, you have to put yourself in a place where you're forced to make decisions all day long and you've got a little time before you get fired. That's true. That's true. And learn, and learn, and learn, and learn. It's learning. Learning. Consequences. Is there a magic formula? Yes, the magic formula is awareness, practice, loving-kindness, observation, learning, uh, getting brighter, getting clearer, getting your channels clear through whatever means, yoga, Feldenkrais, uh, keto, kendo, wh whatever you do, yantra yoga, just get it clear. The decision uh, involved taking on a responsibility. Yeah. But, but uh, the other question is, do, uh, don't, don't we do that for every decision, every, every action we make? Are we responsible? Not really, but we are. 
That's assuming there's a self that's actually making the decision. That's a big topic. So, any others? There's one over here. Okay. It's fun. Those are all good. Those are good questions, and we could spend quite a bit of time on that. purification through the mirror. Reflection in a mirror. I'll read this. There's lots to this. We'll see how far we get. When a tonka is consecrated, a traditional way of consecrating tonkas, one way, uh, to actually, you know what I mean by consecrate? To actually uh, seal it, a painting. You know a tonka? Tonka is a Tibetan painting of of a some spiritual, uh, per, spiritual nature. Uh, it, it cannot be. It should not be used. A a a, a, um, a sculpture, a Buddhist sculpture of a of a of a symbol of the enlightened mind or body or speech of a Buddha should not actually be used until it's properly consecrated. By tradition, it's not even to be used at all until it's consecrated by by a being of at least some accomplishment. And how is that done? Well, there's many ways of doing it, but here's one way in which it's done, especially for paintings. It is still only a collection of paint on a piece of canvas, not yet a holy object. How do you elevate something to a holy object? Normally, we do it through, uh, in a wonkor, is uh, there's a method for doing it of, of, of visualizing the uh, yidam coming into the painting and throwing rice on it um, from the lama's mi- mind, which is the yidam going in and staying and sticking into it. You know, it really works when the rice actually sticks. Well, that means the rice has gotten damp and wet onto the painting. <laughs> but maybe sometimes it sticks. Uh, there's methods for this, but this is another method. Here, another method used during which holy texts are recited, flowers are thrown, and incense is burned. The aim is to invite the deity. Now, the yadam, the being of enlightenment commitment, to, uh, to reside in the painting itself, so the image can fulfill its religious purpose. Once the Yadam or the deity has done so, various offerings are made and so on, including the offering of a bath. Now, this is interesting, the bath. What's it about the bath? To this end, the painting is reflected in a mirror. Would it be a good idea to take a watercolor painting and immerse it in a bath? No. No. This would not be wise. Oh, you know, from a sutta, right? That would not be wise, O bhikkhus. One would not uh, dip the watercolor painting into a bath, O bhikkhus. And all the bhikkhus said, that is right, O Lord. Lord. (laughs) He says, very wise, bhikkhus. Okay. To this end, the painting is reflected in a mirror, which is then immersed in water, 
or at least sprinkled with it. So in other words, the painting is reflected in the mirror and the mirror, which has the image of the painting, is dipped in the water. So you may think, logically, well, because it's a watercolor, that makes perfect sense, yes? Doesn't it? Because you don't want to dip it in the water. But actually, that turns out because that's a purification ritual for a lot of things that won't melt or dissolve away. So why? The standard, and you'll, you'll hear this tomorrow. Will it be in tomorrow's, or in, on Tuesday's Wonkur? It might be. It may be not quite this phrasing. But just as the Buddha, as soon as he was born, was bathed by all the gods, I pray or request you likewise to bathe our body or your body with this pure divine water. This is called baptism. So in Wonkur, the first uh, initiation that's given in a Wonkur is the baptism of water. Interesting, eh? or what's called the Abhisheka, the downgoing flow of water. But how it's done with a ritual object uh, is by bathing it. But it's the mirror image that is bathed. So the idea of bathing something by bathing its mirror image might strike us as slightly peculiar, like attempting to shave the image we see in the bathroom mirror. Try that. Well, some of you don't shave, do you? Well, how about... How about cutting your hair? Have you, do you cut your hair in the bathroom mirror sometimes? Or no, go to a hair salon. But try cutting the image in the mirror. Isn't that, wouldn't that be peculiar? Mm-hmm. Not, not like this. You know, sometimes I like to maybe trim because the hair is coming over the ears. I like trim like this, but that would be like going into the mirror. Could you do that? Oh, it would be peculiar, wouldn't it? Okay. On the one hand... And I won't bring out the shaving cream again today, okay? I don't need to. We've gone beyond that. It's a joke. (laughs) On the one hand, the use of a mirror in this ritual of offering the bath is of a purely practical nature, right? Because the water-soluble nature of the tanka. However, these pragmatic concerns are only one part of the explanation and perhaps the minor part. This is evident from the fact that the same consecration rituals are used for images not easily damaged by contact with water, such as statues. The second part of the explanation of the ritual is that both the image and its reflection in the mirror are regarded as having the same degree of reality. I'm going to read that again. You might want to write this down. This is called Yogacara. I've already mentioned this. Mind only or not the best, always the best translation. But let's say mind only or yogachara, uh, um, a realization. The second part of the explanation of the ritual is both that the image, both that the image and its reflection, its image and its reflection in the mirror are regarded as having the same degree of reality. In other words, another way of saying that degree of reality is identical nature. The image in the mirror and the image of one's own self image 
are of identical natures. That's maybe clear. Is that clear for you? And same same reality, or same degree of reality. The reflection in the mirror, the deity itself. I prefer the word yidam. Deity deity has a Western or or Christian connotation of the deity or of a god, and these are not gods. So the reflection in the mirror, the yidam itself and the image it resides in are regarded as having the same existential status, having the same existent nature. We've been over this how many weeks now? Two weeks. Same thing. Over and over and over again. The same nature of existence. So normally when we look at each other or we look at things, but especially ourselves, we give the image that we have of ourselves and other beings a real nature, correct? And it happens like in a flash of a second. And we do the same thing when we look in a mirror. We look in a mirror and we go, without even saying it, that's me. That's me over there. That's Or that's me, not even reflected. After a while, it's not even me reflected. You're just using it as, as if it was your own body. It's quite something. It's very powerful. For this reason, bathing the one is as good as bathing the other. Why? Because in Yogacara or in, in profound meditative realization, uh, that which is in the mirror is identical in nature as to that which is appearing in the mind. This is the, high, this is the essence of illusory body yoga. But it's not so easy. It's easy to imagine, it's easy to visualize it, but it's not so easy to break through that illusory. It's very, very thick, the image in the mirror. For this reason, bathing the one is as good as bathing the other, since there is no fundamental difference between the two. This I would like you to work with. Can you feel, can you sense when you look in the mirror, when you hold something up in a mirror, if you see it reflected in glass, which is not the same as a mirror, by the way. We'll find that out. But do you, do you feel that the image of you, your image, is like a reflected image, like a superimposition? Or is it a real existential substance? It's very easy to do. You can test yourself. When you hold your hand out like this, is it an appearance or is it a thing connected to your body? It's your hand out there. These are things you look, you, you, you see. Or does it actually feel truly like it's a reflection bathed in the mind, appearing in the mind as if it was in a mirror. As if it was in a mirror because the mind experience is mirror-like, space-like, but it's not space and it's not a mirror. People make that mistake all the time. So my mind is just, my mind is space. Really? If it's space, how do you think? Oh. 
My mind is space-like. That's better. Space-like. Not mirror-like. If your, if your mind was a mirror, it would be very easy to shatter. It would be shattering all the time. Right? Just need to hit it hard. It's a joke. A crack. Some people's consciousness is quite brutal. Now, the, before I go into a l- bit of detail here, which I might do the next time, I'm going to give you some questions to work on. Maybe not so long tonight. We'll see. I'm going to give you... The first thing I want you to do, I'm going to give you a fair bit of homework for the next couple of days, is the first thing I want you to do is I want you to uh, examine a mirror, not so much by what appears in it, but what its properties are. So I want you to write down and to consider dwell as you would soap bubbles, as the Buddha beautifully described the contemplation of foam and soap bubbles. Observe a mirror. You all, I think you all have them in your rooms somewhere. Observe a mirror. Investigate how a mirror works. What are its properties? What are the properties of a mirror? Why would we use a mirror as a high, high, high symbol of liberation? Now, it's saying illusory, but a mirror is also one of the great symbols of the enlightenment mind. Most aren't looking, but that's all right. The mirror is one of the greatest symbols has been for the enlightenment mind. Where's the bubble? Is a symbol of the illusory nature, the transient nature, the non-substantial nature of phenomena. The mirror is both shows the illusory nature, but it also is one of the greatest, the greatest symbols used in the history of Dharma. As a matter of fact, it's an, it's an initiation tool for initiating the mind into some of the highest the highest mysteries. Always has been. So it shows the illusory nature of self. It also shows what the quality of the enlightenment, of the enlightenment mind is. The enlightenment mind is not a mirror. But a mirror is one of those beautiful, closely approximating, as is space and light, to the qualities of the enlightenment mind. That's why it's worth, that's why I'm going to make sure there's there's enough time to describe it. And I will again show you next week, uh, after the Wonkor, actually even in the Wonkor, but after the Wonkor, uh, the, um, the use of the mirror, why it's so important, why it's so important. The mirror in uh, Sanskrit is a darsa, A-D-A-R-S-A, a darsa in Sanskrit. And in Tibetan, it's a melong, M-E-L-L-O-N-G, melong. Or melong, 
Um, M-E-L-O-N-G. Yeah, M-E dot L-O-N-G. That's correct. In, in Tibetan. M-E dot L-O-N-G. Milong. Um, so I want you to enumerate things like what what is the glass like? What is the feeling in a mirror? What does a mirror do? What properties about it would give one the feeling of the enlightenment mind? Okay. Questions like this. If you see an image in a mirror, I don't have to answer it, just, just to write these down, because this is this is powerful yoga. It's so powerful. If you see an image in a mirror, does the image ever stick or get stuck inside the mirror? Can an image get caught in a mirror? Next question for you. I'm just going to speed this up by directing your mind to certain questions. And you need to look. Don't just go, oh yeah, okay, I got it. But look again and again and again and again and again and again. Is the mirror not the surface where the stuff that comes off your teeth is located, <laughs> right? Or splashes and various things. Is the mirror ever tainted? Is the mirror is the mirror tainted by the images that appear in the mirror? Ever? Can you damage a mirror by looking in a mirror, or is it merely, pardon the pun, is that merely a wonky idea? I couldn't use this slide. I had thrown a pun. What was the last question? Can you <laughs> can you taint? Can you just damage the mirror by an appearance happening in the mirror, by the image in the mirror? Does the let me say it another way? Does the image in the mirror taint the mirror? Of course, you can take a hammer to the mirror. You could bump the mirror with a sharp object, right? It could cr- crumble. Yes, but that's not the same as an appearance, is it? What are the other qualities of the mirror? What's the quality of the glass? What's the quality of the reflective surface? So these these questions, of which there are three or four or five in there, are very, very important. Just like you've been meditating on soap bubbles and meditating on clouds and meditating on, maybe today, just had an opportunity to meditate on Thunder or lightning and thunder, a bolt, bolt, bolt lightning, and bolt thunder. Uh, uh, now you turn your mind to really studying the mirror and go, what is that reflection? How does it happen? Here's another question for you. 
do you like mirrors that are distorted or mirrors that are clear and flat and bright? I'll tell you an experience I had this this year. I think it was this year. I believe so. Well, I'll say that again. Do you like mirrors that are distorted? Have waves in it? Are foggy? Or do you like mirrors that are crisp, bright, sharp, and undistorted? Which ones do you like? This has to do with your question there, Terry. Which ones do you like? Some people like distorted mirrors, by the way. They don't mind. They don't mind distorted mirrors. That's foggy. It's scratched. It's a mess. It shows the body like this. Or every time you look at it, your body looks giant, you know. You got big eyeballs and you know, your nose is huge, your ears are giant, and you go, whoa. But accept it for what it is, eh? Accept it. Just accept it for what it is. Well, this year, I think it was this year, maybe last year, looking for looking for mirrors. There's no mirrors in the bathrooms in the house, uh, except for one. The powder room had a mirror. It's so looking for a mirror for the downstairs uh, bathroom and the mirror for my bathroom. And we went to a place where we're getting some pictures framed, and went to this framing store. And on the wall were these really beautiful mirrors with beautiful frames. They were really lovely. And they were like half price. I, I like half price. And they were actually a decent price. Like even less than maybe at Kmart or, you know, or uh, Walmart. But, wow, they're be- and beautiful, beautiful quality. But there's something about the mirror I liked. I look at the mirror and I went, wow. So I asked the man who owns the company the, the, at the framing place, what is it about these? And, and so on. He said, well, normally these are very expensive. They're actually made in Italy, and it's actually extremely flat mirror glass because these mirrors were amazing. They were just, you'd look at it and you go, that's a beautiful mirror. Not, not the frame, the mirror. He said, because it's a, it's a very special mirror property, I mean, or, or process. And he was right. You look at it and you realize, it's flat, it's crisp, it's brilliant. So I bought them. And it was lovely because you look at them and you realize this is not like a normal mirror. It's absolutely resplendent to look at. It's flat. Did you notice that? Actually, it's just flat. Where so many mirrors have distortions in them. Yes? It's interesting. And not knowing that mirrors, until you start taking mirrors apart, you see that some have a plastic, there's no, there's no metal behind it, there's no um, spray, it's actually uh, mylar that's actually just glued on. With, with a high-level distortion, whereas others have a beautiful film. And I didn't know this, but in mirror technology, there's all kinds of surfaces of different kinds of qualities. And, of course, glass can be low quality up to very, very fine quality uh, crystal. So, so these are things I want you to consider. Take some time. Consider that. Why would a mirror be used as one of the great symbols of the enlightened mind, of purity? Purity of what? Then, after you've considered that for a while, I want you to sit or stand, or not so much walk, but sit or stand or lie down. And I want you to try to 
experience your awareness. We'll call it mind, awareness, not so much consciousness. And go, what is it about, about the mind, about, a, about vivid awareness that has properties like a mirror? So once you've seen and you've examined the mirror, now you go and examine the mirror of the mind. You go look for it. This is called pointing to it. Uh, the Lama is pointing to deep principles. Go after it. Where is the purity that you see in a mirror? Where is it that where is it that things don't stick? If no phenomena stick in a mirror, then can all then can any phenomena stick in the mind? How are you going to find that? You're going to have to look at the mind directly. Here's another question for you about mirrors. Is there any phenomena that a mirror can? Uh, is there any phenomena that a mirror cannot reflect? So you test it. What is it that a mirror cannot reflect? A phenomena, a thing, something that is... Now you'll say, well, imagination's a thing, besides imagination. But then, if you say, well, it can't reflect imagination, I want you to reconsider that and go, well, maybe it can. How can a mirror reflect imagination? So what is it that a mirror cannot reflect? And maybe, I'm just going to say maybe, there's nothing that a mirror cannot reflect. Maybe. How would you set up an experiment so the mirror can reflect itself? Uh, Another mirror. mirror. But does the mirror know that there's another mirror? And does the mirror actually care whether it's reflecting itself? Or how about this question for you? If the mirror doesn't care about reflecting things, but just does, why do you care about reflecting things so much? What's the difference between consciousness and mind? What's the difference between appearances and and the mirror? What's the difference between consciousness and mind? What's the difference between mirror and the appearances in the mirror? Does the mirror is does the mirror require a self or a thinker to reflect images? In other words, does the mirror have to think 
to reflect images? Does the mirror have to think to hold images? And can the mirror actually even hold images? What holds the image in the mirror? And that raises the question, of course, can a mirror hold anything? This is very important. Can the mirror... You could you could repeat this a hundred thousand times. It would be worth it. And believe me, I, I basically have. <laughs> These are things... I, I've spent a lot of time in my life with mirror. The mirror. A lot. It's the main, main practice of this being. Does the mirror... Is the mirror a- able to hold anything at all? Do mirrors hold anything? Do they cling to anything? Do they contain anything? Okay. Then I've got another one for you. You're thinking, this is a lot. But actually, some of it is just really worth doing. Really spending some time with mirrors. If you're going to meditate on mirrors, spend some time with mirrors. Now we're going to go deeper. Where does the image occur in a mirror? Wait till you try this. As you know that, that statement? Don't do this at home. <laughs> Just watch. Where does the image appear in a mirror? Does anybody know? Where do we normally, when we look at something, let's say we look at ourselves in the mirror, where does the image appear? Just quickly. Don't, don't think it's a Zen question. Huh? In, front in front of us. Go take another look. Go, anybody else? Where does, the, where does the image actually appear to us? At the same depth we tend to think we're at. <laughs> where does this guy come from? <laughs> it's obviously another planet. <laughs> He's right on. This guy's right on. So, so you go and look. Uh, Barry's already done this work. Go and look. Where does the image appear? And you will be very surprised. Does the image appear on the mirror? Does the image appear in front of the mirror? Does the image appear behind the mirror? And if you say, well, the image appears, as Barry did, the image appears uh, at the same distance as the object is, then where does that place the object? Where does that place the object? And you're going to be, uh-oh, I hope, oh oh, something's not right here. To really take a look at what you see in a mirror. Most people never do, by the way. Most people don't know how mirrors work. They never take a look ever at an, even themselves. They, do you know people don't look at themselves in the mirror? What do they see? Frightening. Hmm? Frightening. <laughs> no, lots of people look and they go, oh, that's nice, that's good. Sometimes. What do you actually? What do people actually see? They don't see themselves. They can't. You can't see yourself. So now I want you to look at a mirror. After you've resolved, where does the image occur to you in the mirror? 
where is it? Is it in front? Is it back? Is it out there? Is it the same distance as the reflected image? You can say, what is all this for? This is this is deep, deep dharma. Then you look and you go, what do you actually see in a mirror? Is it the object? Now, this is so important about the illusory nature of the mirror. Write this down. Do you see the object ever? Or does your mind construct the feeling, the perception that you're seeing the object? Do you do you act do you see the object as it is or do you see something else? I just find different ways of saying it. And if you don't see objects the way they are, why do you feel that you do see objects the way they are? So I'll give you an example. If a mirror reversed, do you know mirrors reverse things? Yes? Some people don't, by the way. They look at a mirror and they, there's no reversal whatsoever. But if a mirror reverses things, why is it you're not standing upside down? Or are you standing upside down in the mirror, but you can't see that you're standing upside down in the mirror? Because it reverses everything, right? What does a mirror reverse, if it does reverse? First of all, you have to find that out. If a mirror is a, is a mirror image, what is it a mirror image of? Do you understand the question? If it's a mirror image, if a mirror creates a mirror image, what is it a mirror image of? And do you know what it is? So if you're looking at a mirror and your your hands are reversed in a mirror, what else is reversed in a mirror that you don't see? Or when you hold up a, 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 a cup like this, are you seeing the cup as it is? Or are you seeing something else and then the mind fills in that it sees the cup as it is? Do you see what I'm getting at? And if, if, if you hold up a cup to the mirror and then you start to look at the mirror and examine it, but that's not the way the cup is, why did you feel that the objects are the way they are? Why? 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 Why is it that we want the objects to be the way we see them, but we don't see them that way in a mirror? And yet they're not the way we see objects. Okay? Is that making sense? Next question. Maybe I should have done this one first, because they're just coming off the top of my head. Is what you see, if you look at yourself in the mirror, because it's all about self here, right? I mean, we want to get us cleared up. If we look at ourselves in the mirror, is that how a friend of ours sees us? You take a look. Is what we see in the mirror the way a, another person sees us in a mirror? Or a photograph, is it the same? Is a photograph the same as the, the way appearances appear in a mirror?
And one way you can do this is take some letters. Make a large letter, like the initials of your name, unless they're the same initials. You don't want um, Timothy Theodore. That's, that doesn't work, right? You don't want Timothy, Timothy Theodore or uh, Leona Latimer, which is the name of an um, art store, uh, art gallery in Vancouver, uh, or um, uh, Nicolina Nibbits, or uh, something like... Uh, squid Nibbits. Squid Squiggles. Nothing like that. Two, two different letters. Squid Squiggles. That's kind of thing. You don't want those two. You'd, you'd want two different letters, okay? And and cut them out of paper, right? Cut them out of paper, not fairly big, and put them up to a mirror and, and experiment with them and say, what am I actually seeing here? Who am I seeing? And where are they? That's about you know what an hour. Okay, so now we've done an hour. That's an hour of practice. Hour two. Hour two. It should be quick. Quick, 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 quick. Hour two. Hour two. Now I'll read the first practice from the illusory body yoga. It's shorter in here. Now I'll read this one. From the six yogas, from the, uh, the text that Namja Rinpoche used to teach from. Now, the instruction on the, on the pure illusory body practice. Well, impure, first of all, impure. Standing before a mirror, observe the reflection of your own body. I've already been through this, this before, but now this is more formal. Standing before a mirror, observe the reflection of your own body. You can just listen to how this is before you write. The observe the reflection of your own body looking at the image for some time. It doesn't say how long, does it? For some time. That usually means quite a bit. And consider how this image is produced by a combination of various factors. What, what goes into making an image in a mirror? Well, you need the mirror, yes? Mm-hmm. No mirror, no image. Correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. You need a body, yes? No body, no image. What else? Do you need light? Yes. Turn off lights? No image. You can do that. Go at night, do at night. Light on, light off, just to make sure the text is correct. No light? Oh, there's not. don't see an image. Turn light on, there's an image. Okay. It requires space. So the, ref- the object, which now we're going to deal with you, you reflect in the mirror requires what? That which you see requires a whole set of circumstances, otherwise the image doesn't appear, correct? Mm -hmm. That's called dependent origination. That which appears requires a whole host of conditions, otherwise it doesn't come about. I want you to reflect on this, pardon the pun, Mm -hmm. contemplate this, Mm -hmm. meditate on this, over and over and over and over and over again. What kinds of experiments would you do? You'd walk away. You'd walk back. So where do you have to be? You have to be in the right position for the mirror to reflect. You turn the light off and on. You create dim light, and then you go, I can't quite see myself anymore. 
bright light, oh, I can see very well. I'm seeing things I don't want to see. That's a joke. Or I, oh, <laughs> actually, with more light, I kind of look pretty good. <laughs> or I move the light. Well, I don't think Laurel would, like, would, would prefer you do that. But disconnect the light, and you'd have lights on the sides, lights on angles, take the maybe the, um, the light from your room, which is on the desk, and take that in and see how that looks. And you'll find out, do you, you know this already, some of you, that the angle of the light makes for a very different image. How about this? I'm just coming off. Top of my head. Fill the, start the shower. Hmm. Laura's going to love this one. Start the shower. I remember when this is like the purba, when I said to everybody, take your purba, right? And take your list and nail it to the wall. And, was, and I remember the administrator there was like, don't do that. You put holes. No, everybody's going to put large spike holes in the walls. Okay. So now you don't, don't turn on the bath and stick the light in the bath. No, I'm not. You understand? I'm just, I'm just a joke. But. So turn on the, the shower and fill the, the bathroom with a lot of moisture. And what happens? It's obscured. And eventually, with a lot of moisture, the image gets obscured, yes? So really consider again and again and again that the any appearance in the mirror is what? dependent on the conditions to support the image. Take away the conditions and what happens? The image goes. This is a powerful yoga. Again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Try it all kinds of different ways. Then you go and you sit. What do you do? Oh yeah, you go for lunch. No. You <laughs> go and you sit and meditate or you stand and meditate and you contemplate what? The mind reflecting images. The mind having images. How is it that, that, that feelings and states of mind and sensations appear in the mind and vanish? Is it the same as a mirror? You may find out it is. So can you use the mirror as the outer contemplation to get to a very, very certain experience again and again and again, Vipassana, over and over and over and over and over again until you get it? Until you can really, this might take you weeks, might take you days, could take you months, until you get it that that this mind is mirror-like, and it takes circumstances to bring about appearances, which we fall for as what? Real. Real. In the mirror mind, just gave it away. Do you see? It's very, very, very direct yoga. When the image appears in the mirror and you reach your hand out, what happens? Right? Is it there? Try to reach you in the mirror. What happens? You bump your hand, but do you ever get the image in the mirror? No. Can you cover the mirror? Yes. But is the image still is the image still there? No. So you can change the circumstances and what happens? The image vanishes. Is there any time where you vanish by changing the circumstances? Is there any time where your feelings vanish by the circumstances changing? 
Are there any times where the sensations change because the circumst- because the fog from the shower is quite thick, or you turned off the light? Do you get the idea? You do this again and again. You go back. You sit in meditation. You use sound, you use vision, you use inner vision, everything. And keep checking it just like you did the meditation in the mirror. Again and again and again and again and again. Then what do you do? It fades. Or you're not convinced. Oh my God, all these thoughts, it's me. I'm having horrible thoughts. And hor- oh my God. What do you do? Go back to the mirror and contemplate for another half an hour or 40 minutes or an hour. Come back, sit or stand and try it again. Do you get the idea? Again and again and again and again and again and again. It is an object of dependent arising or dependent appearing or dependent creation. Paticca samapada. That's the technical term. Without any self-substance. You find the substance in the mind. Where is it? Oh, but I'm having a, I'm having a, but what's the experience? I'm having an emotion, but what's the experience? Not what you've been taught. What's the experience? So listen to this, listen to this now, just carry carefully. I'm having a feeling. Go back to the mirror and go, I'm having an image. Would that be a wise man? <laughs> no, O oh, bhikkhus or bhikkhunis or yogis and yoginis. That would not be a wise man or woman. What would it be? It would be an image. But how often do we look at images in the mirror and we go, without thinking or saying anything, that's it. What I see is what is. Yes? Every day. In the same way, we are conditioned to believe when a feeling or a thought occurs or a sensation or a image occurs or a hearing in the mind, we go, what is it? That is it. We've been taught that. It is an object of dependent arising without any self-substance, appearing yet void. You know, this could be this could be a good this could be a good month of this. Because if you don't do this first, when you go to stand in the mirror and now you examine yourself, it won't work because you don't know the properties of the mirror well enough to do the meditation by you appearing in the mirror. So I'd prefer actually uh, yeah, I'll give the second part. I've already given it to you, but I'll give the second part out on Sunday morning. This is enough for Saturday. Today, uh, for Saturday tomorrow. Enough for Saturday. Okay? What I've given you is plenty. Just do it again and again and again. It's advanced yoga. It's really profound. Again and again and again. Go back to the mirror. Look at it. Try experiments. Come sit or stand. And now do exactly the same thing with mind, with awareness. And keep testing it out. 
and say, are these things real? Are my thoughts real? Or have I been taught that my thoughts are real? Are my feelings real? Are my sensations real? Are my emotions real? Oh yes, well I'm feeling bad. Go look at the bad as if you were looking at things in the mirror and see if you can reach them, touch them, uh, bring them out. I always, always like this as a test. Bring it to me in a cage. You know, cage it, capture it. If it's real, right, you can capture it. Bring it in a, in a, I don't care what you bring it in. It could be a teapot. But you make sure you cover that, cover that, right, like this. Otherwise they escape. So if you can bring me a feeling in a teapot so we can all look at it and go, look, there's this feeling. Whoa. We capture the feeling, like a bojum. You know bojum? No. You don't know bojum. <laughs> I know bodum. You know bodums, but you don't know bojums. <laughs> this Carol? Yeah. Hunting the snark? Oh. We're gonna go bojum hunting. <laughs> so I don't care what you capture it in. It can be one of these. It could be a NASA. A command module. I don't care what you've got lurking in your whatever Barry's got in his bedroom, right? Who knows? But but I don't care what it is. But if you can capture it in a bottle, so we can all determine that that's the case. Like, imagine it's rattling. Right? Ever seen Ghostbusters? Yeah. Isn't that a great movie? Now that's great. They have these devices right for catching ghosts. Isn't that cool? And then they start rattling, right? I love that movie. It's one of my favorite movies. I've watched it maybe four or five times. They got on their packs right now. Slime everywhere. If you can do that, then you have proven me wrong. Okay? Oh, you've proven it wrong. But when you can catch emotions in an emotion catcher, or a feeling catcher, or a sensation catcher, you are, you've reached something big. Big, big, big time. Because we don't believe it's real unless we've got it. Right? Just like zoo animals. Right? You shouldn't believe that there's such a thing as tigers or snow leopards unless you've seen a snow leopard, right? Just because now today with a photograph, if someone shows you a photograph, do you believe it? No, no, no. You go, Photoshop. <laughs> they took a tiger or they took a leopard, right? And they turned it white and put some stripes on it, I think, or spots. No, spots, right? It's a leopard. Right, so they put, they took it, and that's, it's from Africa, right? There's a nice shot from, you know, uh, from whatever game park in Kenya, and then they took it and they stuck it on a mountainside in Tibet, and then they changed the color and the dots, and you go, wow, snow leopard. So anything can be done today. Remember the old photographs of the, the, um, the Soviet Union? You know, they're at the parade, and there's all the generals standing there, and various things like that. These doctored, you ever see those? There's these lovely doctored photographs where they put, you know, someone's been killed or dead and they put the number of face, they put his face there and, and there, like this. They've doctored <laughs> photographs. Cool. That's early, that's before Photoshop. Are you so sure that normal experience is not a Photoshop experience? that every time we look in the mirror, we're having a Photoshop moment. <laughs> really? Really? Just a Photoshop moment, except it's very quick. You know, Photoshop takes a while to load. 
<laughs> come on, yeah, it's a big program, right? And then you, well, I get an error message every time. Certain things aren't loaded with it, and I just go click, goodbye. Okay? You have to search around in the hard disk for the photographs you want and call them up and do things. Are you so sure that's not what we do every time we look? Take a look, and you'll see that every time we look in a mirror, we're basically doing Photoshop. Are you so sure that every waking moment is not a Photoshop moment? We doctor. We doctor things. We fudge things. We put arms where there's no arms and noses where there's no noses. We elongate things and make things bigger and smaller. And we colorize things. But even if we do that, now you see, I can see worried faces. <laughs> I really, tonight, really worried faces. Actually, it's lovely to see you're smiling and you're very happy, but most of you. But, but <laughs> this illusory nature phenomena is not making you is looking as sad anymore. Why? Because has the mirror altered? Have you damaged the mirror? Even though you're doing Photoshop all the time, has the mirror been, been altered? What's the answer? No. So what is the problem? Why all the worry? As it says in the Prajnaparamita in the Heart Sutra, what's the worry? Right? It says, what's, what's the worry? What's the concern? What could be the problem? If the mirror doesn't isn't destroyed, isn't tainted, then what's the problem with the Photoshopping? All you now know is you're aware all the time that Photoshop is happening. So what kind of Photoshop could you do? You can get, you could download the enlightened version. Did you see? So, so normally you get version 1.1, which kind of semi-functions and takes like an hour to load and then keeps crashing on you. Or you could get what kind of version? An enlightened version. What's the enlightened version? It's called the Adam, or the Tantra uh, practice. It's called that Tantra, tantra practices of the Adam Yoga is basically Photoshop, but of an enlightened version. It's it's uh, it's um, uh, one it's uh, uh, one point zero e <laughs> or zero no it's zero e the zero e version zero e version. <laughs> Zero E. It's like not enlightenment. No. Not. Not zero. Did you get the idea? This is how silly it is. So you imagine from the mind of enlightened being how absolutely preposterous this worry is. Over what? Tainting the mirror? You can put shaving cream on the mirror. By the way, that's one. Do you know that's a very. You know how to keep a mirror a clean, clean of fog in rooms that fog? I don't know if you know that. Just put a little dot of shaving cream and rub it all over the mirror or around where you want to see clearly. It's fantastic. It keeps it clear. Did you know that? No. <laughs> okay. But it works. works very well. Especially with um, Gillette. This is mad. I'm a sponsor. Okay, I'm a sponsor. I must get a sponsorship for Gillette shaving cream. You saw me the other day like this, eh? Initiating you all into Gillette shaving cream. I do. <laughs> I do. Occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. 
I shave. I just have an eye shave. I react to that. I shave. Wait a minute. I shave. I'm a guy. I shave. Hey. Hey. Powerful. It's a powerful insult. <laughs> Are there any questions? I think you've got a lot to do for tomorrow. That's plenty. But this is a very, very, very profound. And then in the tantric practices, they use the mirror in all different ways to bring uh, the, this deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, sometimes initiations and also then in your practice, working with mirrors, working with mirrors, working with mirrors until it gets in there. It's deep, 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 deep. Okay? But this is, this is, this you could go all the way. So that's why the, the melong or the, the, uh, the mirror is such an important uh, symbol of enlightenment because it's, it's um, profound. Big, big one. Deep, 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 deep. Take you all the way. All the way. All the way. All the way to mirror-like consciousness. Reflecting all appearances, no matter what in the entire universe, without any sticking. The wisdom of no stick. The wisdom of Teflon. <laughs> I have to bring it modern. You know modern? That's right. The wisdom of Teflon. <laughs> du DuPont, DuPont, better, better, is it, no, that was Dow, better living through chemistry. Remember those ads from the 1960s and 70s? Better living through chemistry. And they'd usually show a fish in a tank going, oh no, no, they'd show a, a hamster. Remember the ones? The hamster in the, wa in the tank of water going, <laughs> they were breathing, breathing oxygen. They had um, a chemical in the, in the, in the water that would allow the lungs to act as uh, gill. Wow. And they were experimenting, trying to develop this for human beings so they could actually swim underwater. Uh, this chemical never hasn't worked yet. But they had hamsters for a while going, like a fish? Better li and they, they would come across at the end, right? Like National Geographic or Wild, you know, wild Kingdom, these things. Da-da-da! Because better living through chemistry. Well, you know what happened with Dow for a while. They kind of disappeared through there. They're back up again. That's an ad for uh, DuPont. It's actually DuPont. I believe it was DuPont that uh, a scientist uh, at DuPont Labs that um, invented Teflon. Pretty sure about that. Wasn't Dow? DuPont. It was a high pressure experiment. As a matter of fact, it was a steel chamber with certain uh, chemicals, and they left it overnight. Came back and went. It's all stuck in there. You know how you do that? You make an experiment, like like baking that cake you did, yeah. and you just let it sit. So they let it sit overnight. They weren't supposed to. Came back the next day, and the the, the pressure chamber, which has it's a fluorine polymer, was. How are we going to get this? It's all solid in there. How are we going to get out? Except it was slippery. It was solid, but it was slippery. They went, wow, this is amazing. That's how Teflon came out. It was an accident. Somebody observed it instead of going like this. Right? Did what's this good for? <clears throat> wow, it's very slippery. I think that's plenty. I think that you've got plenty there. Yeah. Take the day. Take the day to do all that, and I think you'll see it's very rich. 
Very, very rich. Very rewarding. Rewarding, rewarding. Any questions at all about about this? You'll see the moon and the water in the mirror very, very, very closely aligned. They're very, very similar. But this way you get to use it. You have a mirror all the time. You can mirrors all the time. And sometimes at night it's too too uh, too dark to stick your face over the the pond. Get very wet. Okay, so we'll make it uh, short tonight. And See you then on Sunday morning. Okay. If anybody needs to see me, you can leave a note somewhere. I don't know where you'll leave it, but somewhere where maybe uh, Nicolina or Jamie or uh, Laurel will see it, and then you can let me know. I could always meet people uh, tomorrow night, or certainly um, Sunday after class would be fine. If it's if it's very urgent, if you're really struggling, something very very difficult, let me know. And I can either meet in the evening or the morning. It's fine. Not during the day. You have to be... That's very serious. Very, very serious illness or something like that to do that. But that doesn't happen very often. Sabe, Sata, Sigjahantu, may all beings be well and happy. May all beings be established in a kingdom of freedom. The perfect nature of mirror-like wisdom, the union of wisdom and compassion.